let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Would you stand as we sing together? <clears throat> Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. How are you doing this morning? Uh, don't you like that song, those songs? Let the redeemed say amen and rejoice, right? Yeah, I know I got them out of quarter, but uh, boy, the words are still there, aren't they? <laughs> That's why I'm not leading worship. <laughs> We are so happy to have you at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for taking the opportunity and the time to come and to engage in this time of worship. As we worship together, we celebrate the risen Lord. It is a time for us to be joyful. This is the very first time that you have been here. We'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the card in the pew in front of you. If you haven't already filled it out, and fill it out in its entirety. And when you leave today, just drop it in one of the offering boxes at one of the exits. We would appreciate that. I want to look over. We have the Jacksons with us, Steve and Carla. Did you guys say hi? Say hi to them. They are our, they represent some 3,700 international missionaries for the Southern Baptist Convention. They are part of us. They are part of our church. And they are over here grad, uh, graduating a son, right? Yeah. Out of college. And it is so good to see you guys all the way from Mozambique. Yeah, so we are excited to see y'all. I see that there are really smiles on your faces. You're glad to be here, but you're probably glad that this semester's over and that part of the college financial education is done. <laughs> it's always good to see y'all when y'all are able to be here. Let's pray together and continue our time of worship and celebration. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to come and be engaged and involved in your presence, lifting up our voices to say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice, and Father, we celebrate your resurrection. We desire to have that encounter with you. And Lord, it, it's good to see a guest here. It's good to see our members. It's good to see our guests from uh, Mozambique who are part of our church. And as they represent so many areas from our own convention. And Father, I pray for them and all of our missionaries who are communicating the gospel in places that many of us will never be, and at the same time, an extension of our ministry to communicate the gospel. 
And Father, we have missionaries right here in America, North America, as we focus our attention upon the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Father, we're almost to our goal, but most importantly, those 2,200 people that are across this nation and territories, they are also communicating the gospel and representing us. I pray you'll be with them and encourage them because all around the world, there are difficulties and chaos. There is hopelessness and darkness. And Father, these missionaries represent that light. And I pray we will as well right here where you've placed us. So in this service, we give you the glory. We anticipate and look forward to an encounter with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who might not know, Carla is sister to Brian Smith, our building and grounds coordinator. Carla, I've seen more smiles on his face this past week than for a very long time, so he's excited you are here. Shout to the Lord. Nothing compares to the promise we have in him. Let's sing.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we begin today by giving you thanks. Your love endures forever and never fails. As we open the service today, let us make a joyful noise to you. We pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. May we be transformed into your likeness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, who can satisfy my soul like you?
Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, 44 and 47. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. These are the words of the Lord.
Ladies Ensemble, thank you so much, Sister. Women of Grace, a graceful message. Does it matter what we believe? I uh, a while back, I read a statement that astounded me. The statement was this, it makes no difference what a person believes if they are sincere. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Years ago, I read of a preacher. The preacher believed that if he jumped off the roof of his house, God would take him straight on to heaven. And he believed that sincerely. And he was sincerely injured. <laughs> yeah. The Bible gives us some great insight that it does matter what we believe. We may be sincere about some of our beliefs about Scripture, but if they are incorrect, if they are wrong, if they are not biblically sound, it could be devastating. I think this passage of Scripture in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts as we look at the biblical insight of Cornelius and the event that happened to Cornelius and his entire household, meaning his, uh, his wife, children, servants, what happened to them was absolutely amazing. Because the gospel, for the most part, had been communicated to the Jews. Peter had seen the moving of God's teaching through Christ in the Samaritans, in the Jews, and now he was about to encounter it being moved on to the world itself, to the Gentiles. That's pretty exciting. But Peter had to be convinced. And he was convinced when he was on the rooftop of Salmon the Tanner's house by the sea. Three times God brought this big sheet in a vision that had clean and unclean animals. And he said, take and eat. Oh, no, I will not do that. I, I've never eaten a non-kosher meal in my life, he said. And God told him in the vision, what I have said is clean, is clean. At the same time, Cornelius received a visitor. And in that vision, it came very clear that he needed to send for a man named Simon, Simon Peter. Because there was something that Cornelius was lacking. Let's pick up that story if we can. Because I think there are some key elements that it's very important for people who go to church or people who think they are just very religious or very spiritual in the world in which we live. Because I believe that Cornelius gives us this concept of an idea of a person who is really good. And I believe that if God were ever to give an exception to his plan of salvation to say, you know what, I'm going to give one exception to the very best person that I could possibly come in contact with, I think Cornelius, Cornelius might have been it. And so in our human hearts and minds, said, boy, he is, he is a good guy. 
So what we find is that Cornelius was deeply religious. He was serious about his religious affiliation. In fact, we find in the scripture in Acts chapter 10 that he did everything he could to be accepted by God. In verse 2, the scripture says that he and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. As a Gentile, he had joined as best he could as a proselyte, a God-fearer, the practice of Judaism. A focus of monotheistic belief in one and only one God. That is what he embraced and that's what he practiced. Very different than what the Romans believed. He was deeply religious. He was sincere in his belief. He was, as I said, a God-fearer. And that meant that he left that polytheistic religion of Rome, the emperor worship, he put it behind him and he respected one and only Yahweh. There are five things that I think that when you look at, at his characteristics would say, man, if God was ever going to give an exception, this is the guy. Number one, he worked hard at his religion. He worked hard at it. The Bible says he was a devout man, and the idea is that Cornelius had a deep religious feeling, but also was totally committed to his religion. He followed through with it. He put everything into it. Cornelius was a centurion. That means he was a captain, basically, of 80 to 100 men, soldiers. They were to keep peace in an area that was not known for peace in the Caesarea area. Somehow, through the con tact with the Jewish people he said you know what this is this is the right religion this is the one God there is only one creator and I'm going to worship him and he focused his attention upon him secondly he gave heavily to religious causes and to those who were in need the scripture was very clear about that he gave generously he didn't just that he gave he gave generously he wanted to do everything he could to help those. And it has this idea, this concept, that he was very sincere in his giving. He wanted to help. He wanted to give alms to the Jewish folks that were in great need. Third, we find that he was a man of prayer. He prayed to God regularly. He reflected what Paul would later say in his, in his letter, that you should pray without ceasing. That seemed to be the idea of what Cornelius was doing. Regularly he prayed to God. Fourth, he was a just man. If you go over to verse 22, it finds that, uh, that it talks about him being that just or that righteous man in the eyes of all who knew him. And fifth, he had a good reputation. Again, in verse 22, we find that he was well spoken of by the entire nation. So in my mind, I'm looking at these, these five areas and I'm thinking, my goodness gracious, we should find that if there was ever an exception to somebody being able to get into heaven who was really a good hard worker, sincere about his belief about Almighty God, then this should be the man. Did you know that 96% of Americans believe that there is a God? But 96% aren't going to heaven. Because there is a difference between belief that there is a God, a creator, one, and believing in his son, Jesus Christ. So with all of his goodness and all of his actions, the scripture tells us that he was still lacking. 
But God honored his prayers, not with salvation, but with a visit from the angel. In verse 4, the scripture says that your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That idea of a memorial offering means a, a remembrance. It's kind of an Old Testament sacrificial term. It has the idea that, uh, that um, this, uh, this beautiful, sweet aroma, this savor of sincerity of offering a sacrifice to God is what God heard and what God took in. The term has this idea of being well-pleasing before God. And so God knew the heart of the man, Cornelius. He knew what he was feeling. He knew his sincerity. He knew everything that he was striving to do was the best that he understood how to do it. Now remember, this was a Gentile. Very little, if any, contact with the way, with the Christians, of that day and so he was doing the very best that he could with what he knew and God said you know what you have a sincerity of heart so let me take you to the next steps and that's exactly what happened here God had heard and remembered but he would not save on the basis of works but he said I'm, I'm, I want you to have the new the new steps the next steps verse 5 tells us now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Peter had just had his revelation. When he finished that revelation, there were knocks at the door. Peter already knew before, before they knocked that these were the men who were coming, and he was supposed to go with them. God's plan was beginning to unfold. Peter, at the moment, did not know exactly what was happening. Cornelius didn't know what was happening, but God knew all along what was about to take place. He was bringing his plan together, even in the midst of free will. God wanted Cornelius to be saved, but he wanted him to be saved only his way. And that's the only way you can be saved. We can come up with really great ideas of how salvation should work. We can come up with great ideas about that, how this universe really ought to be clicking. We can come up with ideas of how, how people really should communicate. But God is the one who spoke it all into existence. And he is perfect. And there is no sin in him. He sets the bar of righteousness. And he has his plan. In place and this was his plan beginning to unfold while Cornelius was religious he was still lost but let's look at what this scripture is saying because as the story unfolds it begins to get more exciting the next steps here we find that God provided the messenger and the message of salvation if the message from God's messenger is so important that it's in scripture I think it's important for us to take note of it it's important for us to look at these five elements that Peter communicated in his message that is so important for Cornelius and his household it's important for us people who have a faith in Christ and those who don't have a faith in Christ 
So first we find in his message that he says that Jesus is the only way. Peter said in verse 36, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The message is that peace and good news only comes through Jesus Christ. Peter's being very clear about this. It's not through just works. It's not through giving. It's not through just praying. It's not through being just devout. It's not about being righteous before all men. It's not about having a good reputation. It's not about faithfulness in coming to attendance. He said there's something more to this. He said, here's what it says. The message, the message God sent to the people of Israel. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That's the message. It's straightforward. This message is the same thing that Jesus said when he said, whoever believes in me shall be saved. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus alone. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There are a lot of people out there that have other ways. They list them. There are alternative ways, different ways you could do things. Peter is saying very clearly, Jesus is communicating very clearly, there is only one way. Secondly, the essential element is that Jesus died to fulfill God's plan of salvation. So Peter, we've gone past the crucifixion, we have gone uh, past Easter, we are well into the, into the book of Acts where the gospel is being communicated, and now it's going to the Gentiles, and Peter still is on the same topic. He says in verse 39, the last part, he said, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. Here he's clearly communicating to not only Cornelius, but to his entire household and the men who came with him from Joppa, communicating very clearly, here's what salvation looks like. They killed Jesus because he allowed them to take his life. Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. If you remember, Jesus said, I... I could call 10 legions of angels to take care of this situation. So it's not that they took his life, he gave his life. And they killed him by hanging him on the cross. But you know what? He didn't call those 10 legions of angels. Why is that? It's because God had a plan. That plan continues to unfold. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it beautifully. His own love for us. It is reflective of what Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's love. It's an unconditional love. He demonstrated it. He demonstrated it by Jesus allowing himself to be taken on the cross, uh, taken and put on the cross. He allowed that. But it was done because this is God's plan. He loves us unconditionally, and we had no hope. We were hopeless. But the plan was unfolding. The third essential element of this message is that Jesus died, but he rose from the grave. Peter said in, in verse 40, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
This is pretty exciting. It's what we talked about last week. You remember the angel said in Luke 24, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is alive. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, very clearly, like Peter, communicates the entirety of the gospel of why Jesus came in a short passage. He said, For what I have received I passed on to you of first importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised up on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, and then on to the Twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then all of the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me as one abnormally born. It tells us exactly what Peter's communicated in verse 40. And God raised him from the third day and caused him to be seen. Jesus was on earth for 40 days after the resurrection. There was a celebration, but there was more work to be done. There was more communication. There was more teaching to be done. The question always comes in our minds, or at least my mind, is why? Why is it that God raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't need the body. He was complete in heaven. I believe that Jesus was raised for our justification, to justify us before God, to eradicate our sin, so that when we stand before God, we are righteous, not because of our own works, but because Christ lives in us. I think also he was raised to fulfill the messianic prophecies that God had promised through the course of the centuries. And third, I think that he was raised so that people might see and believe. That's why he revealed himself to so many people in those 40 days before his ascension. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was all part of God's complete plan of redemption, his plan of salvation. They're tied closely together. Listen, without the crucifixion of Christ, there would be no resurrection. There would be no celebration of Easter, and the world would still be lost without hope. And without the resurrection, Jesus would only have been a good man who died for a worthy cause. He would have been a dead martyr. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, they go hand in hand, part of God's redemptive plan from the very beginning of creation. Now we have seen it fulfilled. And Peter's communicating that to Cornelius to give him an understanding and to give us an understanding as well. Yes, the scripture says he is not here, he is alive. The fourth essential element that Peter's talking about is that Jesus' death made salvation possible for all people. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, the last part says, Everyone who believes in him received forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. This idea, and I've talked about it, I think it was back in March, the idea of the word belief is not a cognitive belief. I, I, I believe that that's true in my mind, an intellectual belief. It is a belief that actually has transformed us completely in our entire lifestyle. 
Everyone who believes in him, who is devoted, who follows him completely, receives forgiveness through his name. No other way. Not working harder to get it. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't about us. It's all about what Jesus did. If you remember what Paul said, and it's mirrored in Joel 2, 32. But in Romans 10, 13, he says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the idea of everyone. Salvation is available for everyone. We talk about the Samaritans. We talk about the Jews. Now it's opening up to the Gentiles, to the entire world. What an exciting time the apostle Peter is going through. There is this sense, his understanding, that it's not limited. It is for the entire world. Every single person has the opportunity. And it all comes because of what Jesus Christ has done. You see, all is key. That's God's desire. But salvation will not be forced on anyone. I know that through the course of Christian history, there have been unfortunate, wrong ways of trying to get people to come to know Christ or to, to transform, probably not even come to know Christ, but, but to to follow religion, the Christian faith. There have been things done to, to try to change their mind and force them to do that. That's not God's way. Never has been God's way. He gave us free will. And it always has to be free will. It's not going to be forced on us. This means that every single person in the world in which we live, every single one of us have a decision to make. You can't be on the fence. You can't be neutral saying, well, I'm not quite there yet. Yes, you've made your decision. Unless you change it somewhere down the line if you have breath. The fact is that if you have not embraced Christ, that you have chosen at this time to reject him. Not just contemplating. He's offered it. It's a, it's a free gift. And that's what Peter's communicating to Cornelius. Listen. Cornelius, I don't care how good you've been, and you have been good, because as good as you've been, it, it, it rose up as a memorial offering, a, a remembrance. It pleased God that you were praying with such sincerity. Take the next step. The next step is critical. And that next step is a belief, a true belief, that Christ is the only way. We find, fifth, that essential part, that Jesus will be judge of those who refuse salvation. We do not like the term to be judged. <laughs> not a one of us. And frankly, I never want to go before a judge. <laughs> but look at what the scripture says, because Peter brought this into the message. He said in verse 42, the last part, he said, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So we might want to deny it. We might want to turn a blind eye to what this verse says. But the reality is that God has appointed Jesus as judge over the living and the dead. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, 
There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. I think that is a fitting climax for Peter's message, that he is the judge of the living and the dead. But the key verses for me is, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. He's judge. What he has done through his sacrifice and his resurrection have laid the foundation that everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. And those are the words, if I choose not to call upon him, his words is what will judge me to say, you never called upon me, therefore you will not be saved forever, eternally separated from God. Can you imagine standing before a judge that you had refused, that you had insulted? <laughs> well, that's exactly what has taken place if you have rejected Christ, and it's exactly what you have done today. But for those who have a faith in Christ, who have given their lives to Christ, they follow those next steps. Look at what happened following Peter's message. Three things. Three things happened when he communicated this message to Cornelius and Cornelius' household. Number one, those who heard the message were saved. Verse 44, Luke says, while Peter was still speaking these words. So Peter was still going on and on with his message. Sometimes preachers do that. <laughs> and so while he was communicating these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. You know what that tells me? It tells me that while Peter was preaching, Cornelius and his household, all that were listening, that they affirmed, that's what I want. That's the next step, and I accept him. That's what I want. I want Christ into my life. Whether they verbalized it or not, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That term heard, it's interesting, has three elements to it. It means to hear with the ear. Secondly, it means to hear with understanding. Like we say, oh, oh, I understand what you're saying. Or it, it says, hey, I, I hear you, man. Meaning, I understand, I'm connecting cognitively with what you're saying. And third, it means to hear by making it a part of oneself through action and application. And so it's not that they just heard with their ears or they heard and understood in their mind. That term means that they heard and said, that's what I want. I want to give myself to that. Boy, that's powerful. Boy, sometimes in an invitation. I don't think people always have to walk down the aisle and, and make their decision for Christ or rededication public. I like when they do that because it's a, action is an affirmation. But you see, right where you're sitting today, God can be speaking to you. God's Spirit can be connecting with you if you're really listening, if you're, if you're prepared, and, and in the, the place where you are right now. And God's Spirit can be working with you, and you can say, oh, I'm 
hearing what God's Spirit is saying today. And that's what I want to do in my life. Today, God, without anybody hearing, today I commit to do this or to do that for you. That's the idea here. It's powerful because God's Spirit is speaking to all of us. And those who have a faith in Christ, the God, God's Spirit, He lives inside of you. And He's speaking to you. And that's where life changes, major or minor tweaks, takes place and those decisions are made. This scripture says that those present heard, they understand, they understood, and they made it a part of themselves. That was the affirmation. And when they chose to do that, the Spirit of God came down upon them. Second thing that happened is the Holy Spirit came upon those who were saved. It's interesting. The words came on all and the word heard are so arranged that it means a simultaneous action. It happened at the same time. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand that because our minds don't work in the same way as God's mind in the realm of time and space. But a simultaneous action would be Peter communicating this and Cornelius saying, that's what I've been looking for. I want Jesus. And when he says that, the Spirit came down upon him and indwelt in him. This was not a second blessing. The first blessing of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, is all you'll ever need. You see, for by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, at that moment, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit kind of came and went for, for particular purposes. We find in the early part of Acts, there is this process that takes place that once established, when a person gave their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came down upon them after Pentecost. And the scripture says that's exactly what happened at this time. Now let me tell you, because you'll hear a lot of things out in the world, but you will only have one indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come and go and come and go. He is within you. You might have many infillings of the Holy Spirit. What's an infilling of the Holy Spirit? Well, you get kind of in your Christian life and your sanctification, you're growing in your life in Christ, and as you go along, sometimes you get a little, uh, well, the world takes over a little bit. You're not quite as attuned to the things that God wants, and you, uh, you're reading the scriptures or you're in a, uh, a service or you're in a revival service or something happens and God just gets a hold of you and he speaks to you and you say, man, I tell you what, I want to rededicate my life. I, I want to be back where I was. I want the spirit and God to be number one in my life. I want Christ to be the leader of my life. And all of a sudden, man, it is exciting again. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit will always be with every believer who has given their life to Christ. It's when we allow Jesus to be the director of our life, the Spirit, the Spirit moves boldly upon us. We can be infilled, excited again, just like the first time that we gave our life to Christ, or as we mature in Him, we don't lose that excitement that takes place. The third thing that happens to those who were filled with the Holy Spirit, were baptized. You notice that salvation and the Holy Spirit came upon the individuals. They chose, they wanted Christ, the Holy Spirit came, and it was all before baptism was mentioned. 
After they heard and after the Holy Spirit came on them, Peter said in verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. The Gentiles had come into a relationship with Christ. The gospel was now going to be spread to the entire world. And Peter recognized the significance of this event. And baptism is a critical part. I don't know if you remember or not, but it was a time when, uh, when uh, Philip was riding with the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip had taken from the passage of Isaiah that he was reading, and he preached unto him Jesus. And it was the Ethiopian who said, look, here's, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, listen, if you believe with all your heart, there's that word believe again. It's not cognitive. It's a change of life. It's a commitment to Christ totally. And the Ethiopian was baptized. Listen, in both cases, they were not baptized until they had given evidence of their salvation and their faith in Christ, that they had Christ coming into their life. Salvation is critical. The ability for us to make the decision as an act of our will to say, yes, I know the difference between right and wrong, and therefore I know I have sinned. Jesus has died for me. He was raised for me. I accept him into my heart completely. Now I'm ready to follow through in believer's baptism. You see, you're never baptized to be saved, but rather you're baptized to show that you have been saved. It is your public declaration of of faith in Christ and the baptism was by immersion in verse 48 the first part the scripture says so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as I've mentioned before if you look at the word baptized the Greek New Testament it is baptizo the word literally means to dip to immerse to fully submerge and so here we find Cornelius and all those who heard, all those who took that step of faith, they were all baptized. This is such an exciting experience for me. Seeing Cornelius, as religious and devoted as he was, and Peter, very staunch in his belief of clean and unclean, and God working in Peter's life, to be able to present the gospel in its entirety to everyone. And Cornelius was the one that Peter was first able to preach to. And they all came to know Christ. And they followed through in believer's baptism. And at that point, they all were following Christ with the power of God's Spirit inside of them. So I think as we look at the biblical insight from salvation of Cornelius and his household, there are some important conclusions to come to. Number one, that salvation is the result of accepting Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. It's not a matter of works or good deeds, no matter how good you are. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes at the point of salvation. He lives in the person. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, 
He is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise and glory. <laughs> so when we give our life to Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, and he does it as a deposit saying, I've got your name in the book, here's the Spirit, so you can always know that you have life everlasting. You don't have to wonder about it at all. Here's my deposit. And one of these days, either when I come back or when you leave this life, you will have that inheritance. And third, baptism should follow as soon as possible of one giving their lives to Christ, but it is not part of salvation. So does it really matter what we believe? I will say in this passage, it tells us very clearly, it does matter what we believe. I don't care how sincerely we believe something, you could be sincerely wrong. The book is the key. I had a conversation with, uh, with someone a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they were sharing some things about religious life and uh, their, their thinking, and, uh, and they, they were believers, they, they had a relationship with Christ, best of my understanding but I thought it was interesting because they were gauging things in the world from their own opinion even religious things and so I said to them I said you know there's a lot of things that I can give opinions on but that's just it they're opinions and as a as a preacher of the gospel it is absolutely critical when I talk about what God is doing, that I focus on what I know. And here's what God's Word says. And so a long time ago, I chose to say, regardless of whatever our opinions are, I'm going to base everything in my theology, in my striving to be the very best that I can be as not only a minister, but as a Christian. I'm going to strive to do it on this book, God's book. Because there's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of smart people, a whole lot smarter than I am, that look at all of these different things and have all of these different opinions on religion as well as Christianity as well as things in the secular world. But I know what God's called me to do. And in my segment of life here, which is very short when you look at eternity, I'm going to be able to stand before God and say, God, here's here's what I base my life on. And I hope and pray I haven't interpreted it correctly. But that's what I sense God's Spirit leading. And I believe with all my heart that that's what God wants each of us to do. That our absolute truth is the Word of God. Not what we think is best. Cornelius, Cornelius saw something different he had some experience with, with Jehovah. And he said, this, this, is what, this is the step I need to take. And he was devout in it. He put his entire life into it. And God smiled and appreciated that. And said, I'm, I'm going to show you the complete way. And that's what he did. And Cornelius became a follower of Christ. He and his whole household. And I pray this morning... If you don't know Christ, you would choose to do so. This morning I'm asking you, 
if you're a believer in Christ, but maybe, maybe you're not quite as, as excited or fervent as you used to be as a believer. Maybe today's the day where you could rededicate yourself. And you can do it right in the pew where you are. Just you and God. And maybe this is the place that God wants you to plant yourself, become a member of, as we continue to reach this community for Christ. Whatever God's leading you to do, during our invitation, I ask you to make those decisions. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what your word says. Thank you for Peter, his boldness, to go outside the bounds of what he had always known and to interact with someone different and communicate the truth of the gospel. And thank you for Cornelius, his sincerity, but his always searching to know what it was that was absolute truth. And Father, he found it. And I pray that's what each of us will find today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's sing our invitation here. and be seated. I, I, a couple things before I turn it over to Nancy. I, it's good to see some of our folks here that have been, uh, have been ill. I'm glad you're back. We have still more folks that are ill out in our community uh, that belong to our church and continue to pray for them. Second thing is our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, this is the last Sunday that we're going to, uh, to uh, be focusing on that. We're so close to reaching our goal of uh, a little over $13,000. I think we lack about $750, so be mindful of that. If God leads you to, to give, just know that those funds, they're going to be going to places that, uh, that you're not communicating the gospel and planting churches. Let's, let's pray and let's do our part. Ms. Nancy? There are three sign-ups in each of the lobbies, the small lobby as well as the main lobby. One for the movie lunch, which will be this Thursday. The movie is at 1 o'clock, God's Not Dead, Part 3. But if you want to come for lunch at 12.30, we need to know that so that we can order your lunch, and the cost will be $5. <coughs> There's also a sign-up for men's breakfast, which will be a week from Tuesday. Joel McElreath would be the special guest speaker. 
and we need to know how many are coming. You'll have this week as well as next Sunday to sign for that. The third is for Partners on Mission. We will be having Bryson Isom, who is pastor of Relentless Church, come and share with us what God has been doing there. And you need to sign up so that we will have sufficient food for you. That is on Wednesday, May the 11th. Again, in both the lobbies, there are materials for the church conference, which will be this Thursday at 4 p.m. Please take those with you. Come back prepared to participate and also to bring back with you those packets that were mailed to you, the 28-day period prior to our church conference. Wednesday at 2.45, this is a perfect time for you if you have been considering joining the choir. We're going to kick off our patriotic musical. Yes, we just finished the Easter, but we are kicking off the patriotic musical, which we will do on June the 26th, Sing America's Song. So if you would like to come and be part of that, we'll rehearse beginning this week at 2.45. Paul Barnes is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. You'll see in the bulletin that Dr. Glenn Saul was scheduled and he is ill today. I know he would appreciate your prayer. So would you stand as Paul leads us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clarity of the gospel. Help us to believe so deeply that God placed us in this, in this place that we might receive the gospel so clearly. May this day make a difference. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.